Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. The first thing is a little bit to change the energy. So my job is to convince everybody this is how we're going to live. And if you are going to be part of this organization, it has to be in this sense and in this way. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, it's not a goodly morning. Um, it's a morning, though. It is a morning. Dawn is breaking. Uh but it, it not in the goodliest fashion, but not the not the badliest either. No, that's true. It's a weird, strange sensation today because we've lost and, you know, winning is is something that I think we've kind of forgotten how to do a little bit. But, you know, it's weird to come off a game that you lose in what could, I guess, be called heartbreaking fashion, given how late it was and given the the, the context of the goals and the way that the goals went in and still feel a little bit kind of positive about what we saw from from Arsenal yesterday. Yeah, I think so. I mean, does winning even matter anymore? I've sort of forgotten what winning is. No, at this it, point, it, so. it definitely matters. It definitely, <laughs> it definitely matters. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I think, well, I, I do think there's kind of an interesting thing of like performances maybe matter more to Arteta in some ways. I mean, that could change very quickly if we end up in the relegation zone or something like that. Well, yeah, I think we might we might talk about that uh, a little bit later on, um, you know, but I, I do think winning is um, very, very important. I take your point about performances, though, and I think there are things from the game against Chelsea that we can look back on and, and feel encouraged about and feel some real promise about. Um but at the same time, we have to be realistic and think, OK, it's it's um, it's getting a bit hairy, uh, you know, given how infrequent winning has become. Yeah. What is it? One win in 12. 16? Well, 12. 12 in Premier League. Uh, right. Oh, God, I think is it worse than that? It's in, worse with all in, comps. Yeah, yeah. It's oh. 15 or 16. Um, Let me have a so look. So it's, it's pretty bad. But I think... Yeah, I mean, you can't help but look at the results and worry. We're now 12th, aren't we, going into the new year? We'll start the year mm. in that, in comfortably into the bottom half. Yeah. I think only the bottom two, Watford and Norwich, have won less games than us. Yeah, this is fairly unprecedented in modern times, this kind of run of form, you know. Uh, yeah. I don't. We certainly have never experienced anything like it during our, our podcasting years. And you might go two or three games without a win or, you know, four maybe. And you think, OK, this is bad. But to win, as you say, it is one in 15. And the one game that we won was West Ham. 
um, on the mm. 9th of December. Before that, you've got to go back to the 24th of October, uh, the 3-2 win over Vitoria in the Europa League. Um, and that's not great. And even that game was one of those where something mad happened, where Pepe scored the two free kicks right at the end to to, to save our bacon. We were 2-1 down. So yeah. Four home defeats in a row. I believe. In all competitions, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty extraordinary, uh, unprecedented run that we are in the midst of. And it's a funny one, yesterday's game, because I think I think there are definitely positives to be uh, derived from it. But I also think, in some other ways, it illustrates, uh, and the result illustrates, you know, how how big a job Arteta has this season. Uh, I can kind of see it from both sides. Yeah, look, he has got a massive job in his hands and I think we, um, you know, there's there's a lot of talk about this new manager bounce, isn't there? Why Mm. don't we get a new manager bounce? And I think it's because in in a fairly short space of time, we have fallen very hard and very fast. So I don't think that you bounce in those circumstances, I think you kind of splatter all over the footpath. And we are right now splattered. So we're not going to bounce. We've got to kind of pick ourselves back up like a cartoon character, you know, that falls off into all different pieces and then puts himself back together and then that then gets going again. That's who we are at this moment in time. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think under Arteta... Not so much under Freddie, but under Arteta, in terms of performance, we almost have bounced. But it's like we've fallen so far that the bounce is not sufficient to get any results. It's not <laughs> so bouncy enough. It's not bouncy enough to save us from the state we were in. And it, it's definitely better. I think everyone looks at Arsenal and goes, oh, this is better. But it's still... Uh, still not quite what it Mm. needs to be. And yeah, yeah, it's going to be an interesting few months, certainly. Mm. So let's talk about the, I suppose the positive, the most positive part of yesterday was the first half and probably the first half an hour, 35 minutes. um, We're we're really good from an Arsenal point of view. It was very encouraging the way that we played, the way the team was set up. I think... I remember back to, it could have been the start of this season when Granit Xhaka uh, talked about how Emery wanted the team to be more compact. And we had mm. to be a team that, that were more compact because, you know, it was one of those things that we, we talked about on a regular basis was how how much distance there were between the various areas of the team, between the midfield and the forwards, between the midfield and the, the back four or back three or whatever it was. You know, we were stretched. And what you could see yesterday was an Arsenal team that moved in a kind of unison that we haven't seen in a long time that, you know, as play progressed, the players were aware of where they needed to be on the pitch in relation to uh, either the ball while we had possession or the opposition while they were in possession. So for me, that was a really encouraging thing because you could see that the distances between the the the. the the sections of the pitch were not great. They weren't big. Therefore, Chelsea found it really, really difficult to play any kind of um, cohesive football. We we not so much cancelled them out because I think we did a lot of good stuff ourselves on the ball, but certainly the way we were structured um, made it tough for Chelsea. 
Yeah, I mean, so tough it eventually forced them into uh, a tactical change very early in the game, which I think speaks to how how well our plan was being put into place. Mm. I thought uh, Lucas Torreira was probably the outstanding player of that first half, to, in my eyes, from where I was sat. I thought he was excellent and sort yep. of looked a bit like the Torreira we signed, you know, more than a year ago. Uh, and he was brilliant in the tackle. His use of the ball was good. And I thought as well, I was struck by the performances of a couple of the younger players who I've kind of been a bit mm, lukewarm on this season. So say Ainsley Maitland-Niles at right back and mm-hmm. in front of him, Reese Nelson, who just seemed to be uh, thriving really under Arteta's management in a way that I didn't necessarily anticipate you know with with a slightly different and surprising role for Reese Nelson particularly who sort of transformed into this hard working uh, line running midfield player that I did not envisage him being yeah i mean look i think with nelson there's sort of a blank slate because it was hard yeah. to know what we were going to expect or or going to get from him you know there was this idea that he might do what he did at uh, in his loan spell at hoffenheim and come in from the left hand side and score goals um but you know, I think he he is a player, and, and Maitland-Niles also a player who's young enough to be very malleable. And, you know, they've got mm. the physical attributes as well. You know, they're young, they're, uh, they're fast, uh, they can run, and in the kind of system that Arteta wants them to play, with the right instruction, you can see how that will suit them down to the ground. So I think you're mm. right. Yeah, they were good, and I think um, Torreira was good. I also think that Mesut Ozil, again, yeah, he was in, good. for the second game running in the first half in particular, was good. There was a confidence to his play. Uh, he was able to carry the ball a bit and create some danger in the in the Chelsea half. So there were, there were really encouraging moments. Um, you know, you looked at Aubameyang on the left-hand side, and it was a bit of a worry. Uh, I'm going to leave discussion of him um, until the second half of the show because I've got a couple of questions about him but but you know he scored a goal fairly early on good flick on from Callum Chambers mm. um, smart header from Obama Yang and we're 1-0 up and I think we were deservedly 1-0 up and it felt to me like if we were going to get something from this game and I know ultimately that we didn't it felt like we were going to have to score first. And I'd say that was a big part of the of the, the plan, if you like. So from that point of view, for it to come together as well as it did in that opening half an hour, and even, you know, for the most of the first half, uh, that was very pleasing. Yeah, it was, it was just what we needed. And I sort of looked around at the stadium from my seat and kind of felt like, oh, this club feels a bit like it's woken up you know I don't want to overstate it but the atmosphere was fantastic the songs were being sung that I haven't heard for quite a long time uh, there was even sort of singing you know on the concourse around the stadium at half time things like that mm. which you don't always see and I think the fans responded to the energy the work rate of the players I think they could see there was a bit more organisation there um, so yeah there was a lot to like in that first half and I really liked even our goal which you know we get so frustrated sometimes with our set pieces but this was a a really well executed classic Arsenal near post flick goal Mm. it's one of the things that Arteta spoke about 
uh, before the game, wasn't it? You know, this need to reconnect with the fans and results will drive that yeah. in a big, big way. But also effort and endeavour and looking at a team that looks like it knows what it's doing. You know, that's going to play a big part too. You know, that the players you could see were putting in the effort. There was an aggression to the way that we were playing. Even you you think about the injury that uh, Callum Chambers sustained and hopefully it's not as bad as, as they think it is. But even that came from a desire and uh, an aggression to win the ball high up the pitch. Uh, he fell victim to that, you know, in the challenge. I can't remember who it was with. Um, uh, you know, he, he did his knee or whatever it is. Yeah. But it was like he was getting there first. And it was, uh, you know, on the halfway line. It was one of those where, you know, a centre half might back away. But no, he was going for it. And I think that kind of epitomised the way that, that we were playing. And, you know, fans can really get on board when they see that, when they see players trying, when they see them running, chasing, tackling, harrying, you know, doing the, the, the basics as we've talked about, doing those, but doing them with real um, intent, you know, it's easy to support that. It is. It is. I mean, how much do you think that that uh, intensity was just impossible to sustain mm. and how much do you think that affected the result on the day? I think it certainly affected the second half, you know, um, yeah. and even Arteta said it afterwards, you know, we're asking them to play a game that physically they're basically, he said, physically they're not capable of playing the way I want them to play yet. And that might speak to fitness levels or it might be just that he is, he is asking so much more from them, but you know, that there is a physical element certainly that is missing from this team. And, you know, we've, we've heard talk of, um, the kind of player that we're missing in this team, mm. the mm. the sort of athleticism and physicality that you need in the Premier League these days, I think we are definitely missing some of that. And yeah, maybe it was a a, a key part, but um, you know you have to you have to start doing it. There's no point saying, well, do it for 10 minutes here, then take a break and do it for another 10 minutes. You know, you have to get used to doing this for, for 90 minutes. And if it's going to cost us in the short term uh, and there's a long term benefit from it, then I think that's the way to go. Yeah, I, I think, you know, people will look at the fitness and I understand that. But I think you have to bear in mind the time of year as well. If mm. you look at the other Premier League games that are being played in this period, they're not being played for the most part at that intensity. You know, it's it's some of them are really boring, to be honest with you, and it's very very difficult to produce uh, performances of that intensity three times in a week or, mm. or whatever it is Arsenal playing this week. So, I, I think sustaining it was always going to be really difficult. Um, it, yeah, it's it's a it's a tricky one. I mean, I thought the first half was really good, really encouraging. I actually. I found the second half a lot less so. I know a lot of people were like, oh, we were really compact and in control, but I mm. I don't think that is a game we were massively in control of once Jorginho came on and Chelsea changed it. I'd agree with that. I don't think we were in control, but what I think we were was relatively untroubled, although we were sitting very deep. And when you invite that kind of pressure on, things happen, as we've spoken about before. Yeah. So, you know, I... In 
ideal circumstances, I think Arteta would have changed something a bit earlier than he did, but he's still getting to know the players that he has. I don't think he necessarily has some of the players that he would like to have in order to change the momentum mm-hmm. of a game and to change the um, the domination that Chelsea had. So I do, I do agree that they were definitely in control. They were pushing for an equaliser. It did kind of feel inevitable, although they didn't really have too many chances um, there was a, a header from Tammy Abraham which yeah, went straight, header, at, yeah. straight at Leno and he should have done better with but it wasn't as if they were peppering our goal it wasn't as if Leno was making save after save after save um, but we'll come to their goals in a moment there's just two moments I want to um, run past you before we get there not long after our first goal I think we should have scored a second um, there was a great was move uh, a great move down the right hand side Reese Nelson crossed the ball to Aubameyang. Aubameyang laid it off to Lacazette in the middle. And that is the kind of chance in a game against Chelsea that any striker would want. But he uh, took a very heavy touch and it was cleared. Yeah. Are, are you? I, I, how worried are you by Lacazette at this moment in time? I'm quite concerned. Um the the only thing I would say is that he's I've seen him go through periods like this before. I mean, shortly before we bought Aubameyang, he was carrying that knee injury and looked well short of his best, but managed to come out the other side of it. I don't, you know, I, I I've not written him off. Certainly, I think there's a good player there, but his confidence is low. It seems to me, mm. and it, it's interesting. Different players wear that in different ways. For him, his frustrations very apparent. You know, it's there, it's on his sleeve, and you can see a kind of boiling anger in him. And I don't think it's one that's productive for him. I think it's one that's kind of festering slightly. Um, and it's actually, you know, he has scored a couple of goals since coming back from injury. It doesn't seem to be assuaged by that. I think it's, uh, well, it's tempting, isn't it, to think it might be more a, a bigger picture thing, that maybe he's just not particularly happy at Arsenal at the moment. He doesn't look it. Mm. Yeah. What do you think? I don't know. I mean, look, if I'd be surprised if he was happy because of the way things are going. And any footballer at Arsenal who is happy at how things are going right now can, you know, get out the door, basically. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's it's discontent with the way that he's being used or, or what have you. Um, I just think he's in a real run of bad form. And I think he's the kind of player who, when he's not 100% sharp and when he's not confident, looks pretty ordinary, you know? He's not super quick. He's not um, particularly good in the air. He doesn't have the all-around game to make up for not being clinical in front of goal. Um, So I don't know. I mean, look, the last two games he's been playing up front, that's where he wants to play. And, you know, he's, he's struggled. And I'd be surprised if he started there uh, on on Wednesday night. Um, but, uh, yeah, it is a bit of a worry for me. It's a worry for me because yeah. there's the other side of that equation, which is something I'll talk about when we talk about Aubameyang uh, a bit later on. Yeah, well, well, I think... I mean, I, I'm someone who, who generally defends Lacazette's contribution because I think there are things he does as a centre-forward that, that Aubameyang just doesn't really do. Uh, and I'm not saying he's doing them well at the moment, but I'm mm. saying in theory, you know, he, he offers you an option with his back to goal, for example, which we don't otherwise have. And I think Arteta values him structurally. Uh, but 
and, and he's trying to show faith in him and trying to get that confidence back mm. in. It's just one of those where it's not quite happening for him. Uh, I think he's being written off in a lot of quarters. A lot of people are kind of saying he's he's not a quality player. I don't agree with that personally. I think I think there is a really good player there who's just out of form and mm. that unfortunately happens. Yeah, I wouldn't write him off. I just think that at the moment his his struggles um, are a bit of a problem for the team and I recognise the fact that we don't really have much else in the way of goal scorers in the team so I can understand why Arteta wants to get himself and uh, Aubameyang on the pitch at the same mm. time because there aren't too many other people who are um, capable uh, of scoring goals and we know that Lacazette is um, particularly at home um, we know there's an issue away from home, but it, it is a bit of a worry. But in the absence of, of other options, um, yeah, we'll have to we'll have to wait and see what he does against Man United. The other one I wanted to talk about was Joe Willock, a chance just before, not a couple of minutes before the the Chelsea goal, hit a shot on the turn which went just wide. Yeah. Um, should he be hitting the target there for you, or was it one of those where he just had to like give it a try and and. You know, he was on the turn. I'm not quite sure how how much he knew about where exactly it was. Yeah, I mean, I was behind that goal uh, slightly to the other side of it and I'd need to see it again, but it felt to me like there was potentially a pass on. I mean, albeit to Lacazette, who's not in in great form himself. But as he turned, he sort of didn't see it. I think if he'd sort of slightly squared it, it might have been a better angle for, for the other Arsenal player. I thought he did okay, to be honest, in that situation. He was kind of falling as he hit it. Um so I've got a certain degree of sympathy with him. I know people are a bit frustrated with his miss against Bournemouth. You know, he had that chance late on to potentially mm. win it and, and this opportunity too. But I, I thought the Bournemouth chance was a an easier one because he's on the spin, because he's unsighted. Um, I don't know. I don't think it was a... A great chance, but I mean, oh, that- I'm just watching it again here. He just hits it on the turn. He kind of knows where he is in the box based on based on his own position, but he's back to goal the whole time. So he's got his back to goal and he's on the turn and he actually has to hit it around the defender as well. He could have played it out wide to Lacazette, but it would have been a pretty tight angle for Lacazette. So just one of those... Um, a little bit unfortunate. Um, if it flashes in, it's a great goal. Yeah, keeper's know, not getting anywhere near it. Yeah, it's 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 not like he misses it by a mile either. So, mm. yeah, tough one. I mean, we didn't have... I, I, I was looking at this... Uh, our shots. We had... Our, our fourth shot came in the 13th minute, but we didn't have our fifth to the 43rd, mm. and then our sixth in the 78th. So, you know... Like like I was saying before, we were more organised. We were defensively better for long periods. I thought David Luiz, for example, had another pretty good game for mm-hmm. the most part. Um, but we sort of stopped offering much of an attacking threat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, as we found out this season, when you invite pressure, people do crazy things. Uh, and that's sort of what happened to Bern Leno. Yeah. Let's talk about... Jorginho then and whether or not he should have been sent off to me that's absolutely a second yellow card and I know people have said Ginduzi was guilty of a similar kind of incident in the in the first mm. half when Tammy Abraham went through I'm not sure the referee was looking right at that one though 
Um, and, you know, it's very frustrating when a player is not booked for the exact same foul that Torreira committed, the exact same foul that Maitland-Niles committed. Um, Chelsea uh, made 14 fouls, I think, in the first half, which is, um, mm. you know, a lot. Uh, and look, that's part of the game. And that's something we're going to talk about now in a minute when it comes to fouling and, and how we need to do a bit more of that. Um, but were you, how frustrated were you that the referee didn't book Jorginho and actually booked Lacazette for for protesting? For, it yeah, should I have mean, been a second yellow for me. I mean, I, I didn't have a great view of it in the moment, so I was bemused by who had been given a yellow card for Arsenal and mm. and why. Uh, when I was following it on social media, you know, people saying he's got to go, can't believe it, it's a red card. I have to be honest, when I saw the replay, I thought it was going to be more egregious than it was. It, I mean, I don't want to dig him out, but I do get frustrated with Ganduzi. Mm. He's throwing himself to the ground. And, I, and as a, if you're a referee... I just think he doesn't do himself any favours in those situations because he's got such a tendency to sort of collapse under mm. any pressure or touch that I just wonder if refs slightly grow weary of him. Now, despite all that, it is a yellow card. I mean, you know, he should have been booked and he should have been dismissed. What gives me pause and what puts me in a bit of a conundrum here is that I despise VAR so much that I feel <laughs> I have to say my position is I accept the errors of referees ultimately like that you know that's my position on this debacle because I loathe the implementation of the technology so greatly and what it does to the live football experience that mm. I kind of have to shrug my shoulders and go yeah it was a bad decision but you know that's the deal I'm prepared to take in my world now granted we have the technology and it, it wasn't any better um, but yeah, uh, yeah it was a, a pretty annoying decision yeah I wonder did VAR actually take a look at it I don't think they can look at it I don't think they can because it's a yellow card so I don't think it's uh, open to that VAR really is fucking stupid Um, yeah but yeah it would have been a massive moment in the game and you know one thing we haven't talked about is Lampard changed it and uh, it, it made Chelsea quite a lot better it meant they dominated the ball yeah uh and it, it, you know Torreira was absolutely outstanding in that first half I thought but in the second half um it felt like he was a little bit on his own and mm. he, you know we, we couldn't get near to that Chelsea midfield I mean Jorginho he does move the ball very well when he's not cheating and fouling people he moves the ball very well he does he's a very um, smart player um yeah a very smart player and I think he won the free kick didn't he well, I mean, yes. Uh, was it Lacazette? I think. Yeah, it was really poor from Lacazette because he, you know, had his. Um, he, you know, was receiving the ball. I was going to say with his back to goal, the goal is way up the other end. But you, you need him to yeah, hold the ball. Yeah, that's what, there, what you yeah. want him to do. That's why you've got him in the team, exactly. So, Jorginho, um, yeah, is it a foul on Torreira? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Right, you'd have to tell me. I. I I'm just looking at it again. The two of them are wrestling and he kind of pushes Torreira over and maybe Torreira could have been stronger. But I do right. wonder why there wasn't um there wasn't a look at that from a VAR perspective because it's kind of if you think about why the the Socrates goal was disallowed. Remember yeah. they they said that Callum Chambers fouled somebody even though he was surrounded by three defenders. Um Let's have a look at it now. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's a very good point, especially given how willing to look at stuff they appear to be at the moment. Um, yeah, I, I 
I'd have to have a see. Mm. Let's have a look now. Ball comes in. Hmm. Something goes on. Something goes on. And in the, you know, in the way that VAR has been used this season, you know, it's a bit of a surprise. Um, but obviously the big, the big talking point in that is Bernd Leno. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, it, you know, it's an absolute shocker. It's a shocker. For a guy, you know, who's been so good for us this season. Oh, you know, I know it's only like two inches or whatever, but it's just a a really poor mistake. Um, a bit worrying that, well, worrying, maybe worrying is not the right word, but, you know, when it happened, he slumped to the ground, as you would expect, but the, nobody went to him. I was about to say, yeah, I, just watching the replay now, it is really striking. He's on his hands and knees, his face in the ground. And no one even gives him a cursory pat on the back. Yeah. Uh, which, given what he's done this season and the amount of times he's bailed those defenders out, the rest of the team out, yeah, that is a bit disappointing, isn't it? It is. Oh, actually, Mustafi gives him a bit of a slap. If right. you look at him, Mustafi gives him a bit of a slap on the side. But, but that's it. That's it. You know, there was nobody there to sort of get him up and tell him to keep his head up or anything like that. It's a bad mistake and everyone knows it's a bad mistake, but, you know, uh, it, it's, it looks more, um, you know, a striker missing a chance, for example, isn't the, the end of the world because um, you, you, have, you just haven't gained something, whereas with a goalkeeper making a mistake like that, you've lost something. So it's worse. And you would, mm. you would think with players of the experience in the team and what have you, they might have... They might have done a bit more there. But look, it was a, a terrible mistake, and that's 1-1. And the second goal, I, yeah, look, the second goal, for all the encouragement, all, all the positivity of yesterday, that really made me cross that second yeah. goal. I was in the toilet. Um <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was like, I, they'd scored to go to one all, and I was like, oh, I can't face this. this is a nightmare. I'm going for a wee. So it went in the cubicle, uh, not in the cubicle, in the urinals, came out, and they'd scored. And I was like, uh, well, I, des I deserve that, absolutely. But yeah, I've seen it back since, and it's pretty uh, typical of Arsenal. Mm -hmm. I don't blame you for this, by the way, just to be clear. <laughs> uh, I don't blame your bladder. I, I blame Mustafi for this. And... Um, I will caveat that by saying when he came on, I thought he did pretty well. You know, he's a, a fairly a brave guy in the box. He won a very, very good header, which saw him get clattered uh, yeah. himself and Rudiger. You know, so he's willing to put his head in and make the make the challenges. But it's it's moments like that which um, n need Arsenal to get rid of him as quickly as they can get rid of him and to whoever they can get rid of him to because it's not the first time that's happened and it's just so um, unbelievably craven when it comes to defending. Uh, you know, if a, if a guy is in our half with his back to goal, Mustafi has got no problem whatsoever in going through the back of him. We've seen him concede countless free kicks that way, but the ball comes to Abraham and he should have just gone through him. Take the ball mm. or don't take the ball, but take the man. Make sure that you take the man, uh, concede the free kick, 
and you get back and you regroup and you get organized again. But instead, he just runs backwards and backwards and backwards. And when you watch the video, he does not once, when he gets back into our box, look at where Abraham is. Not once. Yeah. And yeah. for a guy of 27, 28 years of age to still be defending like a schoolboy in situations like that is just is unforgivable. And that's why I have a lot of sympathy for Arteta, you know. Um, He's it, not it, had much luck with his centre-half. No, not much luck. And also, you know, the goalkeeper who's been really good all season makes a howler like that. And then Mustafi does what he does. A lot of people were talking about Saka not being able to get back with Willian, and that's maybe fair, but I think it's reasonable to point out that Saka picked up an injury not yeah. long before that. He, I think he had a, like a, a dead leg or, or yeah. yeah, whatever, and he was definitely not moving properly. You could see that. So, you know, and I'm not I'm not here to dig out an 18-year-old winger playing at left-back and doing a pretty good job overall when there's a, a, a an experienced former international player making decisions like that it's it's just ridiculous i'm i'm absolutely sure that is going to be in arteta's coaching manual from now on when this yeah. happens you take the man make the foul be cynical stop the play take the card and we can get organized and we don't concede that goal you know a point yesterday i think most people would have felt on the balance of play okay we could we could live with that and we could take the encouraging signs um but to take nothing from that game was was hugely frustrating given how well we'd done so much of what we did yesterday yeah i think that's fair and actually i mean my point on the goal, and people are going to think I'm out to get him because of what I said about him getting taken down too easily all the time, but I, I really think Ganduzi I think Ganduzi is the worst uh, header of a football I have ever seen. I, I honestly do. He cannot head the ball. And that goal uh, comes, the ball comes out to him on the edge of the box. It's cleared by Rudiger. And his challenge with, I think it must be... Doyle. I'm not sure. But he's so, so weak. And there was one in the first half where like the ball was high up in the air and he went oh, to yeah, head it away. Hudson Adoy, I think, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I just, like, I think there is a really promising player there. But... Uh, you know, he he's not so great that he shouldn't be doing the basics and he basically doesn't participate in that aerial challenge and I think it yeah. really hurts I, And us. also, I, you know, I, I, I accept the fact that it was the 85th minute and he's worked hard yeah, and he had to deal yeah. with a yellow card. But, I, you know, I need to see players in those circumstances sprinting back. Maybe he wouldn't have got there. Maybe it would have made no difference. But I think it sets a tone when you're just, you know, cantering back the way that he was. It was maybe he can't go any faster. Maybe he can, well, but yeah, I don't. He's not the quickest. He's not the quickest, but I don't think he's busting a gut to get back. He's sort no, of waving actually, his arms at Mustafi. Like Saka, I know loses Willian, but he, he's as he runs, he does this thing where he sort of puts his head down yeah. I honestly think he's going his absolute maximum pace at that point yeah he's broken um, actually Saka you can see it I'd be surprised if he's fit and available for, for Wednesday yeah yeah. so you know there was a frustration for me there on the edge of their box um, but looking at it again you're right Mustafi just backs off backs off so weird that a player so customarily happy to go to ground is reluctant to in mm. that scenario yeah um, 
and it cost us. I mean, yeah, it, it cost us really dear, and it's cruel to lose a game late. I think when Chelsea scored and went to one on one one, sorry. I was like, uh, okay, you know, I see that on the balance of play in this half, I can accept that a draw is kind of fair enough, really. But to lose was a real gut punch. Mm, It was. It was. Um, But at the same time, I felt weirdly... I felt kind of alive from an Arsenal Mm, point of view again. Like, it's been a while since I was that affected by a result. And, you know, I kind of liked... Um, feeling as unhappy as I did because I felt like we 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 should have got something from the game. We deserve to get something from the game, and there've been too many fixtures in recent weeks and months where we haven't deserved anything. We yeah, haven't deserved yeah. a thing, and I, you know, to you know, I know Chelsea have had their ups and downs this season, but you know, I felt we went. We went up against them and we deserved to take something from that game. You know, there was the whole refereeing thing. There was, you know, the. There just felt like something good had happened, even though something very bad happened towards the end of it. Something that we could we could build on, we could take some green shoots on. And I know it's so early in the in the Arteta era that it's impossible to say um, definitively one way or another what's happening. But you can see that he is having an impact on the team, on the way it's set up, on its organization, on Mm. its instruction, on what they're trying to do, on the player's willingness to do what they're being asked to do. You can see those things. So those those are the encouraging signs for me. Um, Yeah, I mean, I remember we spoke before the Bournemouth game about what would be a sort of good return from this period and we were saying well you know five points would be good uh you know six points would be amazing I mean it's not it's not going to be either of those now but I think there have been green shoots and as much as we do desperately need some points and we need to stop the rot in terms of results in a funny kind of way I also feel that had we had Arteta come in and just sort of blitzed through his first two games and won them while it would have been good for us, I I also would slightly worry about what that might do to expectation. Mm. I, I do think that we're experiencing a reality check and it's one that's kind of required uh, and that this is part of that process of, you know, recognition and improving. And, you know, to play as well as we did yesterday and work so hard and be so committed, but still ultimately you know, not dominate the ball for half the game and lose, I think really shows you how far there is to go. And Mm. I think it's important that people, not just the fans, but the people at the top of the club recognise that. And, you know, especially on the eve of a transfer window, if, if it exposes, you know, quite how far off the pace we are, then that might not be a bad thing necessarily. Well, yeah, look, we're in a situation now where they have got to back him in the transfer market, not simply because he's a new coach, or anything like it, but because this is a team which is in is in real trouble, James. Yeah, it's in it's in real trouble. Um, you know, we are right now. We need to be looking over our shoulders rather than mm. looking above, because we're six points above the relegation zone. We've got Manchester United coming up on Wednesday. They've had an extra day's rest. I think um, we're we're going to find um, it difficult perhaps to uh, rotate as much as we might like because there are um, there are going to be some issues 
for Arteta to deal with, you know, with fatigue and I think with injuries. But they've got to back him. They've got to address some of the issues that this team has in the transfer market. They've got to hold their hands up and say that their recruitment has not been good enough. Um, And it seems perverse in a way, doesn't it, to say, well, the players they've brought in haven't been good enough. Try again. Here you go. You guys who made bad decisions make better decisions this time. But without some kind of injection in the transfer market um, next month, I think, you know, you're asking Arteta to do not quite an impossible job, but uh, making a very difficult job even more so. Yeah, I saw a tweet from uh, Renewal, is it, on Twitter saying, it's not really talked about that the summer transfer window has made us quite a lot worse so far. Pepe is yet to contribute as much as Iwobi and Mkhitaryan, whilst Abayos and Luis have been worse than Ramsey and Koscielny. Could improve with coaching, obviously, but hasn't yet. And, mm. you know, it's, it's impossible to argue with that. As talented as you might think Pepe is... Uh, you know, there was a stat in the rounds, Iwobi and Mkhitaryan combined for 19 Premier League non-penalty goals and assists last season. Uh, so far, Pepe's contributed to four. So, you know, there is a shortfall there. Mm. Um, we are, the squad looks less strong than it did a year ago. And that's mm. uh, concerning. It definitely is. What do you think he's going to do for Manchester United now? Um we we have to make the assumption that uh, Chambers is going to be out. Um, yeah, I think certainly Chambers. I just got so Kratis, um he, had a concussion, didn't he? So I don't know what the rules are on that, frankly. Yeah. Um, um, I've just had a text from Andrew Allen there saying he's on the Xhaka stuff. I don't quite know what he means. So who knows what might be happening there. He was absent through illness. So he might be back if he was genuinely ill. He might have recovered enough to play against United. But we could have an issue where uh, Saka is not fit to play at left back. And maybe we're looking at using a back four of something like Luis Socrates if he's fit. Mustafi at right back. Maybe you play Reese Nelson at right back. But can Nelson to, play three games in that space of time? You know, he's done a he's done a lot of work uh, on that right hand side. So I, I think you've got to you've got to well, some changes will be enforced, but I think we've got to make changes. I mean, if Shaka apparently was bedridden, who knows? I think he definitely wants out. The story I think Andrew might be talking about is Lakeepa reporting that the the offer from, from her for Berlin is actually a loan deal with an option to buy uh, in the summer. Jesus uh, Christ. Which, I mean, that would be... Yeah, they can stick that. You know, if they want to put some money down for Xhaka, I think we could consider it, but without without money down, no. Yeah, you know, I, I'd be inclined to agree. I mean, I, I kind of think whatever you think of Xhaka, there's a, potentially a case that Arsenal should dig in and make him stay until the end of the season, just because we haven't got depth in that part of the pitch, really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, if Saka's out, uh, yeah, it will be tricky to put a team out. Mm. Uh, well, he might have to go deep into the into well, the youth Bola, system. I think is is back and training and has been training with the first team a little bit. So there might be an opportunity for him. I mean, look, Chelsea brought on a, an academy kid for his debut Premier League debut yesterday. Yeah, uh, no loan spells anywhere. You know, completely raw. And I thought he actually 
you know, was a bit of a differential for them in that last 20 minutes because he had fresh legs and he was a bit of a threat on the overlap, um, despite being one of the tiniest footballers I've ever seen. So he was deceptively dangerous. He was like a gremlin or something. You know, he looked quite cute, but actually. Um, and yeah, I, I, it's going to be tough. I mean, Chelsea, I thought, was a bit of an opportunity for Arsenal because they'd lost, was it f- five of their last seven or something like that? And uh, I thought they might be there for the taking. But like Manchester United, they're a team who are better away than at home. They are good on the counter-attack and yeah. so are United. You know, James, Rashford, Martial um, running at you is, uh, you know, the sort of thing we traditionally don't deal very well with. Mm. Maybe the maybe the only slight glimmer of hope is the 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 inconsistency of United that they can go from a good result to yeah. a bad result um quite often this season but it's um yeah it's going to be a very tough one going to be a very very tough one. I mean um, if we lose that game and we come away from these three Christmas matches with one point mm. As much as we all love Mikel Arteta and as much as we all understand that this is definitely a long-term process and he's doing good things, that's a that's a uh, not a good return and will leave us in a, a pretty crappy position. Sure, it would. But I wouldn't, you know, I don't think you could necessarily put it on Arteta. I think it's way no, too soon. No, no. No, I know you're not saying that, but um, it's a consequence of perhaps the way things have been done this season and the timing of certain decisions that the club have made have made what Arteta has got to do a little more difficult. You know, you think back to that international break when something could have happened Mm. um, and it didn't. And, you know, we're thrust into this mid-season change and, you know, to put a new manager in place at this time of the year in particular, where there's basically all you can do between games is rest for the most part and hope that, you know, you've got the legs to get through uh, a series of of very demanding fixtures coming one slap bang right after the other. You know, it's, um, I think we have to look upstairs and we have to talk or or at least acknowledge the fact that, you know, as you say, the transfer window that we were enthused about um, because that's what happens when a club does business. Fans get excited and they get optimistic about the business that a club has done. For the most part, that hasn't worked out. Apart from Martinelli, I don't think the signings that we made this summer have have worked out. And uh, the decisions that we made to to let some of the players go have not worked out. I'm not saying I was necessarily a fan of Mkhitaryan, but should you have lost both Mkhitaryan and Iwobi? Um, Mm. And Danny Welbeck as well, let's not forget. Yeah, that's true. And Aaron Ramsey. You know, that's that's a hell of a lot of experience and talent to lose in in one fell swoop um yeah yeah you know and look some so look i don't know we just have to we have to hope that he can produce something against united on wednesday and get something out of these players um because i think a win will certainly calm the waters then there's an fa cup game against leeds which as much as the cup might provide us with some uh, chance of tangible success this season, I think we have to be realistic with that yeah. and play a pretty young team. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, we, we 
I mean, this is one of the things. Arteta, he's not only coping with a really crazy schedule that doesn't allow him a huge amount of training time, he's also not uh, got that many options in his squad. He's also suffering injuries. I mean, you know, they're coming pretty thick and fast now. Who have we got injured now? So let's... Uh, Bellerin, Holding, Chambers, potentially Saka. Um, yeah. Uh, both Tierney, Tierney. Kolasinac. Yeah. Uh, Sabios obviously not fully fit yet, although he is back in training. Um, I think that might be it, but it's a, it's a lengthy enough list to be mm. honest. Uh, and I know some of those are hangovers from from last season, but yeah, it's uh, it makes it very very difficult for him, uh, particularly at the back. And if Shaka is is actually ill and continues to be unavailable, that's a problem too in mm. the middle of the park. Oh, well, listen, good luck, Mikel. I don't quite know what he's going to do. We'll wait for team news. I think we'll drop a little bit later on today, probably tomorrow. What day is today? Today is Monday. Monday. Okay, so we're playing on Wednesday, Wednesday night at 8 o'clock. So, yeah, maybe a bit of time to to get some legs, some fresh legs back in. We'll we'll wait and see. Anything else you want to discuss on this before we go to part two? No, I think let's let's see what the questions hold. I mean, just to comment again, I suppose, that the, the atmosphere at the Emirates was genuinely really good on the day. And I do think that there is a, despite the disappointing result, I think there is a slight sense of catharsis around the ground that's very mm. welcome. And when we can get that win and start to put some form together, uh, mm. it might be a bit of a transformed place. Yeah, it'll feel good to win again. <laughs> I'm sure, yeah, when it eventually happens. Yeah, yeah. God, well, we need the Bee Gees on board to, uh, to make that happen. <laughs> right, let's take a break, and we'll be back with your questions and more in part two right after this. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at Gunnar Blog and at Arsblog on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog, and also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you're an Arsblog member on Patreon. Um, I'm going to start today, if I might, and this question yeah. comes from Generational, who is at Adjust Rankings, and he says... How do you feel about Aubameyang charging himself up and down the wing when we have a lesser player at number nine? 
There's also the risk of injury to Aubameyang when he's our only player scoring and we need him. Mm. Well, I thought he did uh, a good job in that role. Yes, I have to say, Aubameyang, you know, he worked his arse off, didn't he? Yeah. That's how it looked to me anyway on that flank. And he, he, you know, in Arteta's... uh, System. I don't think there's going to be any position who's not expected to work hard, whether it's centre forward or or left wing or whatever. I think you know so people are going to have to cover ground and track back and press, and it's going to be more work for Aubameyang wherever he plays. I'm I'm more comfortable with him playing wide than a lot of other people are. Uh, I, it just occurs to me that he continues to score goals almost wherever he starts and I think we need as many goal scorers as possible in this team because we just don't have them I mean it's really striking how few players we have that you would feel that you mm. have a bet on to actually score in a game especially with Martinelli being absent so uh, I, I don't mind it so much I feel like you probably have a stronger position on it because you alluded to it in the first part so what's what's your take well I mean I I, I sort of um, it's a difficult one because I think he is probably better as a number nine playing as a centre forward I think he's the best centre forward that we have and the best goal scorer that we have but I do see Mm. your point in that we we don't have goals from midfield anymore you know we don't have goals from wide areas anymore Um, perhaps Pepe is somebody who might be able to offset that but at the moment, uh, I think Arteta's comments about how he needs to train harder and how Arteta needs to feel confident that he can pick him are quite telling. So mm. there's there's definitely a bit of an issue there with, with Pepe. Um, I thought Aubameyang was brilliant yesterday. Mm. I thought he was really, really good, scored a fantastic goal. He worked amazingly hard defensively to help uh, Bakayo Saka, who, as we know, is a, an inexperienced player. I just think when we went into yesterday's game, I'm not sure we had necessarily the options to to do much different, you know? Right. Um, yeah. w- with the team, if we wanted to pr- provide some threat. And look, Lacazette had a, had a chance. He had a really good chance to make it 2-0. Um, but his form and his touch and and everything else has deserted him. I think in an ideal world, you've got Aubameyang playing up front, and you've got you've got runners either side of him. You've got players who can produce a threat from a goal scoring point of view. Um, you know, of course, you worry about Aubameyang tiring himself out, but he led by example yesterday. That was a captain's as much of a, a captain's performance as I've ever seen from him. But mm, maybe definitely. that then will inform what we do in the January transfer window. Maybe they'll look at that and think, you know, we can't have Aubameyang doing that every single game down the left-hand side, even though he does score. You know, maybe we need to think about the balance of our attack. Um, so that would be my my outlook on that. It is an interesting one, isn't it? Because when you start Aubameyang and Lacazette, you haven't got, another striker on the bench, really. I mean, you've got... I suppose if Martinelli's fit, the, the situation is assuaged. But it wasn't a strong bench, I didn't think, yesterday. And that was... No. You know, people said Arteta should have made changes earlier. And I, and I see that. But there wasn't masses he could do. 
you know, apart from bringing Pepe on, there weren't obvious changes that you thought, oh, this will improve us or strengthen us. Sure. But, I mean, you say apart from bringing Pepe on, um, we're talking about a £72 million club record signing here. So Mm. let's go there while we have some questions on it. For example, Ian, who's at IanBH7 on Twitter, who says, can we now say that the Pepe transfer has been a flop record signing but barely made an impact? And Max Semmons, who's at Max Semmons, says, what's going on with Pepe? Why have all three managers benched him? Do you think it's an attitude problem or he's simply not rated by them? I'm not sure, and I've tried to find out is the honest truth, and I'm not absolutely sure what's going on there. I do think that, you know, it was quite easy for people who were sceptical of Unai Emery to say, well, Emery's not picking him, that's because Emery's shit, Emery's an idiot. And then Freddie, who we all love, comes in and sort of largely does the same, and mm. we're like, well, he, he's inexperienced, you know, he, he just doesn't know. <laughs> and then Arteta comes in and he's making the same decision. I think we have to look at the evidence and say they must be seeing something that that makes them not select him. Um, I still maintain that it's kind of a problem of fit, that I think Pepe was bought last summer when they really did not envisage Meza Ozil being a big part of things. And I think that there's a feeling from the three coaches who've coached us this season that accommodating Meza Ozil and Nicola Pepe, neither of whom really are particularly strong defensively, is difficult. And that's it. I think if Ozil wasn't in the team, I think Pepe would be. But mm. at the moment, Ozil is the man in favour. And you'll notice, I don't think Arteta has had them both on the field at the same time yet. Mm. I think he's taken Ozil off before he's brought Pepe on. So that's, the, that's I think, an issue. I think... His training uh, can't be great. It can't be great. It's not. If he was pulling up trees at London Colney every day, they'd pick him. I'm sure of that. Mm. But uh, you know, I, I don't think it is. And, and the little things I have heard is that he's, you know, he's not especially happy. Why would he be? He's not in the team. He's not really delivering. Mm. Um, you know, it's a it's a difficult period for him. Do I think the signing is a flop? Uh, I think at this point, you have to say, yes, you have to say it's not delivered what you expect for the money that you have paid. Whatever the reason is, Mm. it it has not yet. Does that mean that over the course of his five year contract, he won't blossom and, you know, look like a good signing? Of course not. That could still happen. But at this stage, Mm. it hasn't happened for him. What do you think of it all? Um, I think there are obviously some problems. Uh, You know, if if three coaches in a row have got reservations about using him, I think there are very obvious deficiencies in his defensive game. Did we buy him to be a defensively switched on player? Perhaps not. Did we buy a player who thrives in a different system than the one we potentially are going to play? Looks like that might be the case, and that could definitely be a problem. So there's a period of adjustment in terms of how you reshape the player to fit within that, right? So that's kind of where my little bit of optimism is coming in, particularly as Arteta has done very good work with Raheem Sterling and Leroy Sané at Manchester City. Uh, you know, players who, who play in wide positions who improved significantly under his tutelage and they credit him with that. So I think there's there's the potential 
for Arteta to be able to unlock the potential of Pepe if he is willing to work. And that's what it comes down to. And that's basically what Arteta says. Um, you know, if he's willing to learn and willing to work hard, I assure he has the uh, the potential to be top. Um, the problem is confidence will only come when he plays, but he has to train well enough to convince the manager, I am confident enough to play him. I don't think you need to do a lot of reading between the lines there. No. I mean, I think it's pretty upfront and mm. pretty honest. Mm. And, and, and and I think the point about you make about style is a good one as well. I mean, you know, I, I say that there's a difficulty accommodating Ozil and Pepe because neither are great defenders. I also think that they're sort of fundamentally... To, to my mind, quite opposed in terms of style. I think I think Ozil is a player you pick if you're looking to dominate possession. I think Pepe is a player who thrives in counter-attack, or at least it did at Lille. That was the game that he was accustomed to at Lille. And he's having to go through, like you say, a, a transition to you know playing for, inverted commas, a big club, or at least a club who expect to have most of the ball. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's worrying. And I'll tell you... The issue with it is if we'd bought Pepe for 30 million quid and we'd spent the rest of that money on areas of the team that also needed it, like centre-half or defence, then I think we would all kind of shrug our shoulders and say, well, look, you know, you you accept that. But because it was such a vast chunk mm. of the budget and it left certain other areas either unaddressed or not sufficiently addressed, I think that compounds the issues around the deal, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I mean, we have a question here from Raz today on the Discord who says the inevitable Pepe question. With Reese Nelson having played two games in three days, with United being weak this season against teams that cede possession to them, wouldn't it be an idea to give him a chance? He was our best player against West Ham, in my opinion. So do you see Pepe getting a start against Manchester United, even by virtue of needing to freshen things up and have some fresh legs because at the very least that's what he's got because he's you know he's not really played in the last uh, in the last couple of games yeah and it wouldn't surprise me if it was always kind of penciled in for him to play uh, in this United game just because we are going to need fresh legs we are going to need to rotate it might be at the expense of Lacazette maybe rather than Nelson, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how they'll they'll go about it. I, I do want to pay a bit of tribute to Reese Nelson. I mentioned it in the first half, but you know the player that we thought we were getting there, or that certainly we saw in the academy, was a guy who was sort of you know happiest at number ten, could play out wide, a flair player, someone who wanted to be on the ball, and he's really as you would hope for a young player, but responded to Arteta's instruction. He's now started three league games in a row, which seemed so far from a possibility, even a month or so ago. Uh, one was admittedly under Freddie. But yeah, I really think he has knuckled down. And, and I think there's a lot to see in him that Arteta will like. You know, he is quite technically secure. He is pretty good on the ball, but he's also willing to follow instruction. And when you look at those wide players at City, you mentioned, you know, a Sterling or uh, whoever it might be, Sane. They have to work bloody hard in that system. And mm. I think if Pepe wants to play for Arteta, he's going to have to do all that that kind of dog work that, that Nelson's doing as well. Um, just on the, on the strikers thing, just to go back a moment, you know, I, I, 
we're talking about Lacazette and Aubameyang and which one should play through the middle. And I, I thought Chelsea's centre-forward yesterday was really excellent, Tammy Abraham. I mean, he was, you know, a really difficult player for us to deal with. I know he should have scored, certainly with one other chance, that header from a corner. But I did find myself kind of thinking there is a sort of a hybrid striker. And, and this is, I know Aubameyang is out standing and I, and I know that Lacazette is a very good player but I'm not sure that either really kind of does all the jobs you want a centre forward to do um, and I do sometimes wonder if, if one is to go in the summer I'd love to see someone who has that uh, athleticism that work rate but can also score goals come in as an option I mean maybe you know maybe Martinelli is sort of guy. like um a sleeker version, a sleeker, faster, more agile version of Giroud. Yeah, exactly. Which I think Abraham sort of has proven himself to be. I think, I mean, the, the one I always go back to is Adebayo when he was good. You know, when it, when he was good, the, the work he did, the ground he covered, the speed, you know, the physicality and then the finishing and aerial ability added into that. He was someone who you could go long to, but who could all so going behind and I think Abraham's one of those as well I think he's not there with the goal scoring but someone like Calvert-Lewin shows signs of it sometimes but yeah I'd love that sort of prop uh, so so sort of Brexit and old-fashioned but like a sort of proper old-fashioned centre forward I think we miss that a little bit in this squad at times Mm. Maybe another issue that we've got to solve. It's not number one priority, though. No, it's no, not no. number one priority. <laughs> um, let's have another question. Um, oh, this one was interesting. I thought on the Discord, which was from uh, uh, Devin Palmer. And Devin said, if Shaka goes in January, what type of central midfielder do you think we need for our Tetas system? A good one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what else to say. Um, you obviously need somebody who uh, is physically able to come into the Premier League and perform straight away. You know, um, somebody who can run for ninety minutes. But I don't know. I mean, it just seems really obvious to say we need somebody who's you know got some physicality, who can uh, slot into a Premier League team. Maybe it'll be a Premier League player. Who knows? I don't know. But, you know, uh, somebody who can win challenges in the air, somebody who can defend, somebody who can head the ball. I already said that, didn't I? But, you know, a good passer, good passing range, um, tactical intelligence, um, perhaps Mm. a bit of goal scoring. I don't know. Do we need to just sort of um, clone Patrick Vieira? I don't know. But it it feels like we need... um, the fucking Terminator in there or Robocop or something. Um, but I do think somebody who's got the the physical attributes that you definitely need in the Premier League um, has got to be one of the key considerations for that. Yes, and I, and I think looking at what we've got, if it is Shaka who goes, I think you've got to look at Torreira and say it's someone who can play next to him mm. because already in two games... I think he's massively benefited from a more defined role in Arteta's system. I think when you look at uh, uh, Torreira over the past 12 months or whatever it is, so much of the time it's felt like simply too much was being asked of him. And, you know, why was he being asked to play advanced? We've all sort of scratched our heads and wondered that. And 
And I think it's just because he was just our best. Once Ramsey went, he was our best central midfield player in pretty much every role. He was probably the best guy in front of the back four and probably the best guy as a number eight as well or as a number 10 as well because, you know, he's technically sound. He's energetic. He can tackle. He can pass. He's got a shot on him. He can do all those things. But just because he can doesn't mean he should have to. Mm. And someone who provides a, a counterpoint and a balance for him, I think, is what we need because actually... I really liked what I saw of Shaka and Torreira against Bournemouth. And, you know, I, I understand it's probably, it's definitely not for the long term and it might not be even for the short term if Shaka goes, but uh, at least it had some semblance of plan and balance mm. and security to it. So he's someone who can play alongside him. I mean, it's difficult to, to pluck names out, but I agree physicality should be a part of that, you know. Decore is the one people say, isn't it? Because he's in the Premier League and we know him and we know he's he's powerful. But some, it would, I'd love someone of that ilk, really. Someone who, a midfielder you don't want to mess with. That would be nice. Yeah, it would. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, at this point, my expectations when it comes to transfers are quite low. So yeah. um, I wonder, you know, when we talk about what Arteta has to do you know, how, how much is that going to be helped by scouting, by recruitment, by whoever our head of recruitment might be, by Raul and Edu and, and everything mm. else. But I think Arteta will not be backwards about coming forwards when he tells them what kind of a player he wants. You know, he should be able to make it pretty clear what kind of talent he's looking for, for, you know, um, for the squad in January. Like, what's, what's the yeah. profile of the midfielder that you want? Um, if we had, like, a, a stats company, for example, who could then use that data to identify targets, all the better. Who knows? Um, but we'll, <laughs> we'll have to wait and see. Um, here's a question from bum, 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 a couple of ones, actually. Frederick Goat... Goat... He's God T. Frederick God T. Um... Mm. He says, uh, I think the last two games have shown evidence that Mesut Ozil can still have a big impact in the game of modern football. Do you think he will be vital for Arteta going forward? And then we have one here from Amanze Kojak Nueke, who's the street scholar on Twitter. And he says, is it too early to believe Ozil has had a mini renaissance under Arteta? I feel when he was substituted, we lost a lot of control in midfield. Well, the substitutions are interesting in themselves. I think, you know, they partly show the value of Ozil and that Arteta wants him to start all those games. But I also think if you look at Ozil's most successful period of his career with Real Madrid, he was a guy who came off at 70 minutes. Almost every game, Mourinho brought him off. And, um, you know, Arsene Wenger changed that, started to make him a 90-minute guy. But I think we probably all know that's not the best use of him. So... I think Arteta has been quite smart in terms of managing his time. It's just a shame he's not got particularly experienced players to bring on uh, instead of him. As for whether it's a renaissance, he's been better. He's definitely been better. And with a f more well-structured midfield behind him, it's provided him more of a platform in which to operate. I mean, mm. it, they were different, different performances, really, I think, against Bournemouth and against Chelsea. Against Bournemouth... 
you know, I think I was much more excited about what Arsenal did with the ball. Uh, and against Chelsea, I was more excited about what we were like without it. Uh, and, and you know slightly less suited to Ozil but I thought he had some terrific moments in that first half it's a weird thing isn't it because who are the marquee players in this squad aside from Pepe who's not playing it's Lacazette Aubameyang and Ozil and when Arteta looks at those three he might well think well the one who's likeliest to be here at the start of the next season might actually be Ozil um, mm. so in terms of thinking long term about his team he might be the one who he could build around at least for the next 18 months I, I, I don't know I, I feel like what, what we're witnessing is a little bit of Arteta sort of making making the best of what he's got and looking at the problems in his team you know looking at the talent level of the players and thinking my best chance here is is trying to maximise this guy's talent you know mm. and, and whether that lasts beyond the summer I don't know but Arteta's got to be pragmatic in the meantime well I think that's exactly it it's it's pragmatism because, uh, you know, we look at the strikers, we talked about the strikers and we say, who is going to score goals in mm. this team? Who is capable of scoring goals? Who is the creative force in the squad? Who are the creative players that we have who can make chances? Mm. And, you know, beyond getting a ball to an overlapping fullback or a winger who's going to bang in a cross which is more about the, um, I'm not going to say it's nothing to do with the creativity of those players, but it's more to do with the, the way that a team is organized, there. how you get there. Yeah. Exactly. So it could be Kolasinac, it could be Saka, it could be Tierney, it could be Nelson, it could be Maitland-Niles, it could be Bellerin. I don't know that you would say any of them are necessarily creative players, but they play in positions where creativity comes from. But when you're looking at the squad and thinking, who, if we've got the ball in the middle of the park, can do something with it that might be useful, you've got Ozil, and I think to an extent you've got Shaka, who's capable of producing yeah. some decent deliveries into the box and some decent passes. So beyond that, it's very difficult to think about how you fashion a side which has enough attacking potential to win you games so I think the issues that, that are uh, have been relevant um, when we've discussed Mesut Ozil are still relevant it's just that right now we have to we have to use him um, and use him better than we have in fairness I think what Arteta has done in the last couple of games is use Ozil in a way that Emery didn't Mm. which gave him space on the ball, allowed him to get between the lines, allowed him to show his quick footwork. There were a couple of occasions yesterday. There was a, a nutmeg. He won a free kick on the edge of the box or Step not far outside yeah. the box. You know, uh, you know, by receiving the ball in areas where he can do something with it. And with Emery, that never seemed to be the case. So there is an element of, of doing more with, the, with Ozil and, and where we get the ball um, to him. But at the, base, at the base of it is just sheer pragmatism because we need him and we need someone to to help us create chances just speaking of creating chances and we'd spoken about central midfield and we're losing one left-footed central midfield player and it suddenly occurred potentially to me, potentially potentially losing one but it suddenly occurred to me we haven't even talked about danny ceballos um <laughs> which kind of tells its own story doesn't it i mean i i routinely forget that we have Danny Spires. I completely forgot about him last week. I was somebody mentioned him on Twitter, and I was like, "Oh yeah, 
He yep. he is a person who is alive and plays <laughs> for Arsenal Football Club. I mean, when did he last play for lot for Arsenal Football Club? I think I it was in know. way back. It was in September, October, October, maybe. I'll look it up here now. But yeah, look, he is somebody who could uh, within the system that we play, it was November, 6th of November, and he played against Vitoria, and he picked right. up a, um, a hamstring injury, which he then played on with, which seemed a bit daft at the time and probably exacerbated the injury so. that he's had. So, you know, he's back in full training. He is somebody who might come into the squad, at least for the United game, if he's uh, fit to do, you know, 20 minutes towards the end or something like that. I'm not sure he'd be he'd be ready to start. But, you know, there were little flashes from him which were encouraging. Obviously, that, that Bournemouth game, not Bournemouth, Burnley. Burnley, At the yeah. start of the season where everyone kind of fell in love with him on the, you know, on a hot summer's day. We were all kind of swooning at, at what he did, and he hasn't really done much else since, to be honest. Um, but he is a body, and he is in the squad, and when we think about having to use players over this festive period, uh, I think he's got to be back in contention. Yeah, and on paper, you know, Spanish midfielder, technical ability, you'd think he might be to Arteta's tastes. Um, yeah. So maybe maybe he can make a contribution in the second half of the season. That would be very, very welcome if he can. Yeah, I I, I routinely forget that he plays for us, so that would be good. Um, What about this question? This is from PJ on the Discord, and PJ says, what do you guys make of Freddie watching from the stands Mm. as opposed to being on the bench? Should we... Oh, and then he's gone on to ask a different question about Lacazette. So let's just stick with that (laughs) Freddie one. What do you make of that? Um, I think it's fairly normal. Um, you remember that that Arsene Wenger's right-hand man, Boro Primorac, mm. watched pretty much every game from the stands or the director's box. Um, and Unai Emery had somebody as well doing that job. Um, so it's normal for for any coach to have somebody watching from on high because they see things that you don't see from... Um, uh, you know, from pitch level. Your view yeah. is quite different you know if you've ever sat in the halfway line it's different than you know when you sit in the you know the one of the ends of the stadium um so mm. yeah he says i you know he's communicating with the bench um i think it's quite an interesting thing that he trusts freddie's judgment and what he sees because that's kind of an important job people might think it's mm. a bit of a demotion but i'm not sure I'm not sure that it is. You know, he's still involved in the coaching and his feedback on the games and the performances is going to be invaluable. You know, he comes down to the dressing room at halftime, Freddie, and he reports back on what he's seen and gives his observations. So that's something that's being taken into account. So, yeah, look, it's uh, he's a high-profile figure doing that job. That's the only... Uh, issue is not quite the right word, but you know he is. Uh, you know he's very recognisable. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, it seems to be. I think it's Albert. Is Albert Stevenberg who's the mm. guy who's up on the sidelines chatting to Mikel uh, most of the time. That was my observation anyway from where I was sat. Um, so yeah, it's interesting to sort of try and figure out the precise hierarchy of those various assistant coaches. I'm sure they've just got different roles. It's a model Arteta himself was part of 
at City. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's no no harm for Freddie to be doing that job. Um, the, the, my only thing with Freddie is I just wonder, having had a little taste of it, I do wonder if if an offer was to come in for it for him from somewhere that was reputable or decent. Uh, I wonder if he might, you know, take it because I think once you've had that little taste of it, 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 it might, the hunger might be there to go on and, and prove yourself. Yeah, I think, um, I think he's got ambitions, obviously, to be a, a head coach or a manager uh, for sure. So, mm. look, it, it might be a case that he does get an offer and that offer proves um, too valuable to, to turn down. But in the meantime, I think he's got, a, he's got an important role to play in the current setup. So, yeah, you're right. And nobody is... Um, there is no sort of like assistant head coach. They're all assistant no. coach. So Albert St- uh, Stevenberg, Stevenberg, how do we pronounce that? Something like that. Stevenberg. Steve Guttenberg. Albert Steve <laughs> Guttenberg um, and Steve Round and Freddie are the assistant coaches. So uh, we'll see where it goes. Uh, I think I had a question here. Um, why can't I find it? Okay. Uh, this one comes from Dan B. And we also had one on the Discord as well, if I can find it, uh, from Ashley's Today. And it's basically, is it time for your transfer window predictions, positions we will sign, and net spend figures? And Dan B. says, usual transfer in and out predictions. Wow, okay. What this do you think? tough one this, this January. Is much tougher, yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I, they definitely want to do business, and I'm, and we know some of the areas. I mean, central midfield is the the definite one. I think centre half is equally possible if they can find someone to take Mustafi off their hands. Um, good luck with that. Uh, right, I think Shaka will go. Do you? Yeah, hmm. I do. I think uh, his mind's pretty made up. So, I think he'll go. Do I think anyone else will go? Well, I mean, but Xhaka can't go unless they pay some fucking money for him. Because if we, oh no, I think he'll go. I think there'll be money. Yeah, yeah. I think there'll be money. You know, this idea that we might, you know, sanction a loan deal until the end of the season and then a thirty million pound or thirty million. You know, maybe you could. No. You know, um, if you've got an assurance, you could. If it's an obligation, yeah. You know, then then that's maybe fair enough. But if it's an option, I don't think that's something mm. we can do. Um. But I think he will go next month. Uh, do I think anyone else will go? I think they will finally move Mustafi on, actually. I think they will do it. Yeah, have you heard anything? Is that just uh, your gut feeling? Uh, or is it based on any information? Or? Uh, the information is that they are looking for a centre-half. And when if you look at the, the numbers, I think one's got to go out. So I, I think Mustafi is the obvious one. Now, do I think there'll be any money for Mustafi? Possibly not. That could be... That could be a loner, yeah. Yeah. So, I think in... What do I think we'll get for Shaka? Not as much as we'd like. I'd say we'll get, like, 22 million for Shaka. Okay. Are you writing this down? Yeah, I'm going to write it down now. Okay. Then I think we'll sign uh, a central midfielder. Yeah. Um, a centre-half... And I'll say a third choice keeper. Okay. That's on their list as well. Right. So a central midfielder and a centre half. 
Yeah, and I'll say, what have I got to do? Put an outlay on that? Yeah, put an outlay. 25. Uh, I think 28 million. What the fuck are we getting for that money? I think we're getting one signing. And so one the keyboard costs much and one loan. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. What do you think? I think. Um, I just have a gut feeling there might be a surprise departure and I don't know who it's going to be and it's based on no information whatsoever. Right. Like I a kind of a Wobi from nowhere. Of, yeah, somebody who we think, ooh, do we re- should we really sell them? And then we will because there'll be an offer that we could then reinvest. So, so someone like a Maitland-Niles-y kind of player. Yeah, but I mean, like uh, yeah, but I wouldn't actually um, sell Maitland-Niles, but that kind of thing. Um, yeah. Don't quite Reese know who Nelson that might be. No, I don't think it'll be Nelson either. I don't think it'll be one of the younger players. Um, okay. I I have a feeling that Xhaka will go as well, just because I think he really wants to. From everything yeah. I've heard, he really would like to go and just start afresh. I think we might get twenty million for him. Yeah, I agree with you that we'll get a central midfielder and a centre half. I think we'll spend 40 million and I okay. think we might loan an attacker of some kind. Really? I think we might loan a wide player. Right. A sort of, you know, like last summer it was the last January it was the Carrasco Perisic chase. Yeah, which uh, ended in the Dennis Suarez. Yeah. Slurm. Something of that ilk. Okay, mm. that would be interesting. So that's what I think. So I've got a net spend of 20 40. million. A net spend of 20, yeah. And you've got a net spend, net spend of, of six. Six, <laughs> six million, which sounds much more in line with what the Cronkies <laughs> will probably do. So maybe I've just got my over-optimistic head on. I, I, well, they might spend more than I think. All, all I know is that in the build-up to the window, they were talking about having to be you know, creative, potentially looking at, you mm. know, loans and slightly unconventional deals, maybe on account of spending quite a lot in the summer, although we did recoup a fair amount, let's not forget. Mm. Um, yeah, they. I mean, they, they desperately need something. You know, even if we had all the numbers, even if we had a rounded out squad full of quality, a team on this run of form, you'd say drop something new into the mix to, des- you know, to try and yeah. inject something to it. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, uh, and that's absolutely where we are. So it'll be an interesting January. I think if they go through it and they don't act, you know, I just don't think... I, I honestly don't think that's an option. I really don't. No, not if Raul Sanyahi ever wants to walk the streets of North London again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I do kind of feel a bit like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But it is, not, it is, you know, infamously not a hugely easy time to do deals. So yeah, but this you is know, a test. Do better in the summer and you don't have to do fuck all in January. Yeah, or as well, much in January, you know? So that's you're you're actually making up for your own... Um, I'm not going to say incompetence, but, you know, if you've been in charge of a summer which has turned out this badly, um, you got to do something to fix it. You can't just sit there and go, well, that didn't work. Let's not fix it. You know, we saw what happened last year with the Suarez thing. That was, you know, absurd. Yeah. So. so neither of us went for any fullbacks there. 
Um, I just want to ask you about that, do you think? Oh, that's interesting. I forgot about that. Maybe, maybe we get a left-back on loan as well. That's four players coming in. Uh, See, I think, I don't know when Kolasinac is due back. My personal opinion is that uh, I, I, I think Saka has been so good that I'm not sure we can loan a better left back than that. Well, what if Saka, I, like, I think it's what if he's done his calf? Him the games. What if he's done his calf and he's out for a month? <sighs> then, then it's then that changes things. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's yeah. That's what happens. You have to go with the flow a little bit as well. But, but I think you know. I know he's not a left back, and well, who knows? I mean, you know, mm. Ashley Cole was a striker at his age, or a foot winger at his age, and ended up a left back. But, but he does. Uh, he has done really well there and I almost think it's I think he he benefits from that game time even if it's not in the right position so yep. I, I'm not desperate for that I know they were looking at right back um, but this slightly predates you know the the uh, renaissance of Ainsley the renaissance of Ainsley Maitland-Niles uh, I, I mean I think there is a lot of concern about Hector Bellerin I do think there you know people are worried about Hector and his recovery and his physical conditioning. So maybe that is something they will still look at. But mm. I think the spine of this team has to be the priority, the centre-half and, and, and the centre-midfield. Mm. I guess, again, the Chambers uh, injury might... Um, yeah, di- again, di- if that's really because, bad, I mean, yeah. then maybe they won't let Mustafi go, to be honest. Like, yeah. maybe that solves that numbers issue because... And I would feel for Callum Chambers because in a sea of shit, he's probably been the least offensive centre half overall. I think. Uh, <laughs> I know. I know what you mean there. You know, yeah. the least offensive centre half. Uh, well, you know, I think he he's had his moments as well. You know, he's had some difficult, yeah. just difficult moments in games. But I think what what people might look at is a guy who who. Who tries hard? He's wholehearted. You know, he 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 does his best. He doesn't necessarily shirk the responsibilities of of defending. No, he's one of the few players who this season has looked like they're fighting for their place. And yeah. as fans, we respond to that, don't we? We do. Right. I think we'll have just one more question because we've been going Go on, a while then. here. Um, one was from the Discord, John Hussain. What was your best goal of the decade? But there's a sort of more wider ranging one here from where the hell has it gone now? Uh, Ashley Moss, who's at Ashley Moss Four on Twitter. Um, he says team of the team of the decade, but I don't know what that is. I don't want to pick like an Arsenal team of the decade. I think we did that already, didn't we? Um, yeah. Goal so. of the decade, player of the decade, and save of the decade. Um, and I would add in. Um, game of the decade because it is almost 2020 ladies and gentlemen a new year is is almost upon us so what's mental about that is that means 1980 was soon, is soon to be 40 years ago i i mean i know it's basic maths but i find that astonishing yes <laughs> um i don't know what to say to that it it is there's no denying that if you believe in time as a linear thing. Yeah. Maybe we should stop believing in that. Maybe we should. So hang on, I've got to now... Goal of the decade. Goal of the decade, player of the decade, game of the decade, and save of the decade, please. Game of the decade, I think, personally, has to be, for me, the 2014 
FA Cup final. A, because of what it signified and what mm. it meant, and B, because it was quite an extraordinary game yes. of football. I, I can't uh, disagree with that. That would, that would have been my choice and what an amazing day it was and what it meant for the club after so long without winning a trophy and just, you know, on a personal level, but, you know, as a, as a shared experience among Arsenal fans, I, I, it was just amazing. And I always remember um, in the aftermath of that, there were a couple of videos. Remember someone put together a compilation of videos where from all over the world somebody had like recorded the fans in a bar yeah. in New York there was a bar in LA there was a bar in Delhi there was a bar in Sydney a bar in Melbourne a bar in you know Johannesburg in Paris wherever it was and they put together all of these compilation of Arsenal fans all sharing the same moments which uh, you know whether you're in the stadium or watching on TV at home or in a bar wherever you were they were unforgettable Unforgettable. That was a brilliant, brilliant day. And for me, that's definitely the game of the decade. Player of the decade. So the best player that I saw play for Arsenal in this decade, um, I think was Alexis Sanchez. Uh, for, you know, for my tastes, I, I thought he was mm. astonishing, particularly that one season where, you know, he scored 30-odd goals. But I just loved the work rate combined with the ability however if you ask me for my player of the decade <coughs> I, I would probably err on the side of someone who was here for the majority of that decade uh, and who contributed to you know many successes and failures within it and then I get torn between two so I get torn between Aaron Ramsey and Laurent Koscielny mm. and I think on balance I'll go for Ramsey for the cup final contributions but it's a it's a close one for me between those two yeah I think if you're looking at consistency rather than you know a very yeah. I won't say it was a brief spell shining brightly because Alexis had two mm. two very very good seasons for us um yeah I, I think I think for me it's I know people will go think I'm nuts about this because he is he you know he had some problems and he had um Cochrane is it Cochrane yeah. <laughs> oh, you know me so well uh, I I I think it's Kashelny for me because yeah he he had these moments and he had these lapses but I when I look at what we've got at center half now oh and I think about away. I think about what he produced in teams which weren't massively better from a defensive point of view or a structural point of view, you know, the consistency that he produced, you know, when he was on his game, uh, maybe it says something about the decade that we've had as well. But, you know, it's, um, yeah, I think it's it's going to be him for me. Um, mm -hmm. It's a tough one otherwise. You know, I, I, I love Ramsey. I love Aaron Ramsey and I loved the... Um, the cup final winners, I just feel like there were times when he didn't didn't reach his potential because of injuries and yeah. missed a lot of games and, you know, I always remember the start of that season, you know, where we was it we played Liverpool on the opening day and he pulled a hamstring and, you know, missed three months and, and the tendency to do that. That happened a lot. Yeah, yeah, that happened a bit too frequently. But I do love him and miss him very dearly. Um so that's why I'm what gonna go for Kashelny. What else are we looking for? Goal of the decade. Goal of the decade. Was there another one? Yeah. Or was that the last one? Can I go first with goal of the decade? Yeah, please. Because I know there are goals that people are going to think about immediately. 
team goals and, um, you know, there are a couple of very famous ones, which I'm sure you're probably going to reference now. Mm. For me, just from a purely aesthetic point of view, mm. Ramsey against Galatasaray will... <laughs> I you'd say that one. Will... I'll never forget that goal. Unbelievable technique, unbelievable trajectory on the ball, rising all the way, hitting the top corner. And my favorite bit about that is if you search out the video and look for the long video, as the ball crashes into the top corner, Wojciech Szczesny and Yaya Sonogo both make the same gesture at the same time, at different ends of the pitch, and they put their hands on their head as if to say, like, whoa, what the fuck was that? And that mm. just makes it for me. So, Ramsey against Galatasaray, goal of the decade for me. I think that's a good shout. As, as strikes go, you won't see many better. Mm. I mean, I, I know the ones you're referring to, the team girls, Wilshire against Norwich, Rosicki, um they're fantastic and, you know, pretty much unrivaled in the Premier League. I think Ramsey's goal against Fulham last season is pretty special too in, if you're looking for goals of mm -hmm. that nature. I'm actually going to go for one. I was there on the day and I just don't think I'll ever see anything quite like it again, uh, which is the Giroud-Scorpion yeah, goal. I thought that I mean, yeah, yeah, it's just mad. I mean, the fact that that happened still is quite incredible when you think about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, yeah, it's a lovely move as well, to be fair, in the build-up. And then the finish is out of this world, you know, just a, a moment that I will always, always remember. Mm. So I'm going to go for that a one. A jolly good goal. Winner of the Pushkas Award, was it? Um, mm, no but, less. Yeah. So, yeah, look, a brilliant, a brilliant goal as well. And obviously very, very pleasing on the eye. To, um, but you know, we each have our, our own preferences. Save of the decade is tough because I can't really remember any. Um, the only one I can really remember is Burned Leno from last year against um, North London Derby. I'm sure that that's must what be, I was going to say. As yeah, there well. must be loads. There must be loads considering how our, our goalkeepers. I mean, one that sort of stands out, not because it was particularly significant or it meant a great deal in the grand scheme of things, was Petr Cech finally saving a penalty against Troy Deeney, no less, at, mm. the, uh, at the Emirates. And, you know, of course, we all took to Twitter to uh, remind him about where his cojones were. Um, yeah. I don't know if this counts as a save, but Chesney coming out and flattening Gareth Bale at White Hart Lane, um, that was enjoyable. Was that this decade, though? I don't know, actually. I think it must have been because we had Koscielny and I think he arrived in 2010. Yeah. Okay. So, yes, yeah. I think it I think, I think. think it was. But, uh, yeah, uh, that was a great... I mean, n is it a save? Not sure, but a nice goalkeeping intervention. Yes. It wasn't David Ospina, that's for sure. No, he's, uh, he, he doesn't spring to mind too quickly on, on that particular category. If you would like to hear more stuff about what happened in this crazy decade, 2010 to 2020, mm. and you're not an Arsblog member on Patreon, sign up today, patreon.com forward slash Arsblog. We have got a, um, a decade of banter conversation with myself and James and Tim Stillman. Lots of stuff in that that will um, bring back some... Memories, I think it's fair to say, whether they're good or bad. Uh, they might make your heart hurt a little bit, some of them, but there's also some good ones in there too. There's, you know, a mix of good and bad, a decade of banter. Um, yeah, some fun stuff in there. Yeah. It was fun to record. 
Everything from the signing of Ozil to the the signing of Chelstrom. Yeah, yes. it's it's, uh, it's a mixed bag, but it's a uh, it was very fun to record, and I've been told is a fun listen. So yes, do check that so out. there you go. It's a fiver a month, and you get instant access to all the content that we have there on Patreon. You get uh, ad free podcasts, ad free Ars Blog apps, uh, exclusive podcasts, long reads, articles, a free audio book download, and access to our Discord chat server. Of course, lots more besides Patreon.com forward slash Ars Blog. Uh, right now, all that remains for me to do is to wish you, James, a very, mm-hmm. very happy new year. And to all our listeners, a very happy, peaceful and prosperous new year in 2020. May yep. it bring us success. Um, and by success, I mean a win over Manchester United. That's as much <laughs> as I'm looking up. for. <laughs> Staying up. May it not bring relegation. Oh, may it not. Uh, Please don't. Nah. I'd, I'd fancy our chances in the championship, but look, let's not go Championship's there. a fun league. Let's, I'm, I'm ready. Uh, no, Happy New Year, everybody. Thanks for listening, as always. And yeah. that's it. Bye-bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 